This Advent season, we've been focusing upon Christmas carols, Advent carols, that have the theme of king in them. And this morning, we've already sang one. On Christmas night, all Christians sing. And there it speaks about the merciful king. And as we get ready to open the word of God in three different sections of scripture, you're going to see the mercy of God unfold. What is it? What's what we need most? And frankly, if we're honest, it's what we want most. So let's stand for the reading of God's word. We will begin in the gospel of Luke. The record of this great news coming from the angels will go into the Old Testament and then to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Luke 2, beginning at verse 10. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. From Lamentations 3, 19 to 23. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And from the letter to Ephesus, Ephesians 2, 4-9. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Father, as we come to this time and place, we're grateful for the freedom that we had in coming here, remembering the church and other parts of the world where that freedom doesn't exist. We pray, though, that as we have this freedom, we would not take it for granted, that we would not, not be slothful in the way in which we worship and listen to your word. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes to see anew what you have accomplished for us, what you are accomplishing, and the promises that still are to be fulfilled in you, Jesus. We desperately need you, all of us, so show us your mercy. Lord, have mercy. We pray it in your holy name, Christ. Amen. Well, children of all ages are growing in anticipation for what Christmas Eve will look like and what Christmas morning will be. When I was a child, every Christmas season, I made two lists. The first list was everything that I wanted. And it was long. Like most of you, a catalog would come and I would begin to circle the pages putting my initials by everything that I wanted. I knew I wouldn't get it all. My parents weren't that rich or generous, but I knew that they needed to at least have an idea of what I might want. But I made a second list, and the second list was born out of theology that was formed by a song. 
1955, a song in which six artists hit the charts by singing it. And the song was titled, I'm Getting Nothing for Christmas. That song, perhaps more than you know, formed the way in which you think about God and about this entire Christmas season. The song goes like this. I broke my bat on Johnny's head. Somebody snitched on me. I hit a frog in sister's bed. Somebody snitched on me. I spilled some ink on mommy's rug. I made Tommy eat a bug. Bought some gum with a penny slug. Somebody snitched on me. And then the chorus, I'm getting nothing for Christmas. I put a tack on teacher's chair. I tied a knot in Susie's hair. I did a dance on mommy's plants, climbed a tree and tore my pants. Filled the sugar bowl with ants. Somebody snitched on me. Next year, I'll be good. I'll be going straight. Next year, I'll be good. Just wait. I'd start now, but it's too late. Somebody snitched on me. Now, that song scared me to death. And my mom, though she didn't have what we have today in terms of a repeat function, would play that song over and over again. And I would begin to form a list. First list, this is what I want. Second list, this is why I don't deserve it. Now that list was born out of manipulation and a passive aggressive nature, which I wanted to show them that there was some level of contrition in my heart please see that I know what I've done is wrong. And I would give that list to my mom. And my mom would read the list. And then my mom would compare my list to hers. <laughs> what about when you cut your sister's doll's eyelashes off so that they wouldn't be able to sleep at night? <laughs> what about when you put Nair in your older sister's shampoo? I know. <laughs> what about when? And the list went on and on. And children, by the way, don't do any of the things that I just mentioned. Deep down, there is a part of us that believes that that silly song is kind of real. We make lists. I wanted to get something for Christmas. And my list, though it fell short, showed that I didn't deserve anything. And there never was a Christmas I did not get what I deserved. I, I never deserved a gift, but every Christmas I did. And the more I wanted something, the more I reflected upon the list that was so naughty. One year, children, it was because I wanted this. Yeah. 1970-something, this was on the shelves of Christmas stores. This is heavy. It's metal. It's not like the stuff you guys get that <laughs> breaks quickly. This was the actual toy that I saw under our tree on Christmas morning, probably 1972. It was a snorkel. It since has broken, but it's the same one. It had a fire hydrant that connected to a water hose which about three in the morning on that Christmas, I tried to connect when I went outside. As I turned the nozzle on, my father met me at the front door and said, don't get out of bed until 11. <laughs> this was what I wanted most. It's what I didn't deserve 
but it's what I got. And upon receiving that specific gift, I would do the same thing I did every Christmas. As soon as all of the packages were open, when everything had been received, every Christmas I would look back under the tree hoping that there was what? Say it. One more. Because you're just like me. You've done it too. You were a child. And you know it might be wrong, but you wanted one more. And then you settled and realizing that there was nothing there and you were content. Then I would pick up the phone and I would call my grandparents. And I would tell them in great detail about the greatest gift I'd ever received. And I would go into specifics. And it was a delight. I was singing about what I didn't deserve. This morning, I want to tell you in detail about the greatest gift that is available because of what God has done. And that greatest gift has come to us from the King of mercy. This joyful song that we just heard the choir sing the first verse and then we sang it is recorded in our hymnal. I want you to open your hymnal and turn back to on Christmas night, all Christians sing. It's hymn number 227. And I want you just to hold it open for a moment because it's in this song that we hear, like most Christmas carols, the profound reality of darkness and the gift of light. But in the first stanza, it says, on Christmas night, all Christians sing to hear the news the angels bring. News of great joy, news of great mirth, news of our merciful King's birth. What is mercy? What does it mean that we're singing to a merciful King? Well, mercy is simply this. Mercy is not receiving what we do deserve by someone who has the power and right to withhold or even more so to enact punishment. Mercy is not receiving what we do deserve. Grace is different. Grace is receiving what we don't deserve. We do deserve wrath. We do deserve judgment. But because of God's mercy, that's not what we receive. We don't deserve salvation, but because of God's grace, that's what we receive. So when we sing about this merciful king, we're singing about our condition and what God has done to overwhelm that condition that we might have life for all eternity, and it's because of his mercy. That's why the angels appeared. That's why they sang that this is good news of great joy. And I wanna spend some time this morning unpacking mercy from the word of God in detail. The word of God is full of his mercy. Go back to Lamentations 3. Lamentations 3 describes God's mercy in two ways. It describes it as endless and new. Look with me at verse 22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies, first of all, notice that it's, it's plural. It's not a one-time thing. His mercies never come to an end. What that means is that God's mercies are endless. Every gift that you or your children or grandchildren open tomorrow, no matter how special, no matter how amazing, it will not be endless. 
It's going to break. It's going to run out of batteries, if you even remembered to buy them. It's going to become boring. At some moment, sometimes faster than at other times, the thrill that a child has for a gift will no longer exist. Gifts that are open tonight, tomorrow, Tuesday, all will run their course. They will not be endless. But here we have this gift of mercy where the Lord in the Old Testament describes his mercy as never-ending. Think about that. There's no other gift that you know of that is like that. The gift of Jesus Christ, his mercy, is endless. Everything that we buy today, especially if it's of some value, comes with a warranty. But every warranty I've ever seen has so much fine print that you really don't know when it begins or ends or what it was covered. Not God. This gift truly is endless. But it's not only endless. The verse continues. They, verse 23, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Think about that. The mercy of God receiving that which we don't deserve, not receiving what we do deserve. The mercy and grace of God, they're made new every morning. Every morning that you and I rise, we see the mercy of God just in setting in common grace the sun on its course. Every day the Lord has promised provision to us, daily bread. Every day the Lord gives to us what we need, not what we deserve, but what we need. His mercies are made new each morning. Now Ephesians also speaks of his mercy. Go with me to that text beginning in Ephesians 2, 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. How does Paul describe his mercy? He describes God as being rich in mercy. Rich. What does it mean that God is rich? I don't know if you think of yourself as rich or poor, upper class or middle class, I think we have a sense because of where we are in this country and where we are in this city and where we are in this place that the material blessings that God has given us is really remarkable. From the person who walked here or drove the poorest car to the person who came and Incredible luxury. We are very, very rich. But I want to tell you something about your riches. No matter how great they are, they're all measurable. Given enough time, given enough time, accountants, auditors can easily discover how much you are worth, materially speaking. Now, it might be off a fraction or two. You may have stuff stored away that they can't find. But if they could, it could be measured. God's mercies are immeasurable. We cannot count the riches of God's mercy. Those mercies which are endless, those mercies which are made new each morning for you and for me, they cannot be measured. That's 
the amazing reality of God's mercy. But what was the cost of that rich mercy? Paul tells us the cost in beautiful terms in Romans. In Romans, Paul says, God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You have heard that before, but let me say it again. While you, while I was, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But here's the challenge. If we don't really understand what we did deserve and didn't receive, this news of mercy or mercies, this immeasurable richness of God's mercy might not really make much of a dent on our life. So I want to encourage you for a moment to make a list. I want you to make a list in your notes, in your mind, of how bad you've been. Do you need a minute? Do you need a day? Do you need a year? You understand my point, don't you? You see, you and I are tempted to make lists. And as we make those lists, most of the time it's, it's comparing ourselves to others. But the comparison is only to be met up against God. List makers tend to fall on one or two, in one of two errors. First, they make a list that they think is so bad that there's no way God could ever forgive them. And some of you are there right now. Others make a list comparing themselves to how bad other people's lists are. And they feel pretty good about themselves. My friends, both lists are not helpful or necessary. From the person in here whose list would seem the most offensive to one whose list just seems to be what we might categorize as mild sin, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God all of us have fallen short of that standard. All of us had to have a God who was rich in mercy, who was willing to send his own son to have a perfect list, but still go to the cross, receiving that which every man, every woman, every child deserved, and that was his wrath. But that's not what God did. He did not give us what we deserved. He showed us mercy. He had the right to, he had the power to, but he didn't because he showed us mercy. And that's why this hymn speaks so beautifully of what is true of those who are in Christ. Look again on page, uh, at the hymn of 227 on Christmas night, all Christians sing. Verse three. When sin departs before his grace, then life and health come in its place. When sin departs before his grace, then life and health come in its place. Heaven and earth with joy may sing, all for to see the newborn king. These words matter. They're familiar, and they can lose their significance, but they matter because we who are in Christ have been set free from that curse. And the Father in heaven doesn't look at our list and say, you were good enough, or you're so bad, I could never forgive you. He looks at the list 
of our Savior's life, who was perfect all the way in obedience to the cross. This news is so good that it's appropriate that we would sing such a joyful hymn just coming out of a public confession of sin. But did you notice the question the hymn asked? Verse two, then why should all on earth be sad since our Redeemer made us glad? Then why should all on earth be sad since our Redeemer made us glad? Well, there's a reason we're sad. And there's a reason we get depressed. And there's a reason why our souls get heavy. There's a reason why we can say, but Jeremiah, remember my afflictions and my wonderings, their wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. The reason is because these mercies so necessary, point to a future fulfillment that we don't yet know. Right now, you and I live in the already and the not yet. Already, we can experience something of these new mercies. Already, we can experience something of this immeasurable riches, this immeasurable grace. Already, we can taste the the reality of what it meant that Jesus did perform that list perfectly. He did die perfectly for us. He was raised from the dead, but not yet fully. And so we, as Jeremiah taught us, cry out, have mercy. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. This I will call to mind. Therefore, I have hope. What makes you sad this Christmas? Is it because there's someone that won't be with you at the tree? Is it because you've lost a battle time and time again with a particular sin and shame is overwhelming you? Is it because you made a decision and even though it was in your distant past, you think it's impossible that God's immeasurable mercies could ever cover that one. Oh, I talk to so many people like that. There's a moment marked in their life where they just feel like he could never forgive me for that. And it blocks their ability to believe the good news that we are hearing today. Maybe you're in a broken relationship and it makes you sad. And even as these hymns are proclaimed and the good news and joy is there, you don't feel it. The only thing that seems endless in your life is grief or doubt or addiction or physical pain or a broken heart. What then shall we say to these things? And I want you to listen closely. Because those things are real, because that brokenness is very real, Jesus had to come. He came to earth to taste our sadness, and he did. He whose glories knew no end. 
There's no sadness that you're feeling that he doesn't understand. If you're hurting because of a broken relationship, just remember what he went through. Remember what they did to him. Remember what we did to him. There is no physical affliction that is more present in your body than the presence of God himself. Remember that. God sent his son to meet every need. This side of heaven, God never promised to take away the pain. But he did promise to give us himself. So what do we say to these things? We say what God told us to say. In his mercies, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That's Romans 8, 32. This morning, there are people in this place that have received the mercy of God and salvation in Jesus. You know that which I speak of. And for you, this is a sweet reminder, isn't it? There's some here today I know who have tasted this at some point in the past, but the brokenness of the world, overwhelming doubt, confusion, cynicism, whatever it might be, has interfered. And even now you wonder, could this all be true? It's too good to be true. Or if it was true, then all that bad stuff wouldn't happen. How good is God? I want to tell you the truth. Make two columns. Make one column that identifies all the brokenness in this world that you can imagine. And you can probably imagine a lot. And it's not really just an imagination, is it? It's real. And that's my point. Write it all down. On the other side of the page, I want you to make another list. And at the top of that list, put God is good. Psalm 119 says, God is good and does good. And reveal what you know about his goodness in his word, but also in your own life. And even if you've gone through unbelievable heartache, I know that you've experienced something of the goodness of God too. And make that list. Both of those lists are real. The brokenness of this world is real. The brokenness in your life is real. But so is the goodness of God. God is good and does good. Now take those two lists and ask this simple question. In the history of the world, where was man's brokenness most profoundly revealed? It was on the place called the hill, the skull, Golgotha, a place where God sent his own son to die at the hands of very cruel men. Man's brokenness was most profoundly revealed when those who one day shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, now shouted, crucify him, crucify him. 
The worst of man, the worst of man's sin, the brokenness of man, the worst of man's brokenness, all poured out on Jesus. The perfect wrath of God deserved for all mankind, for you, for me, poured out on him. That was the ultimate of brokenness and sin. But now ask this question. In the history of the world, where was God's goodness most profoundly revealed? In the very same place. So between those two columns, draw a cross. Fix your eyes on Jesus. His immeasurable mercies were revealed in that moment when he said, it is finished. When you sing these carols about Jesus being born in a manger, remember that he would grow to be a man whose list was perfect, who went all the way to the cross in obedience to the Lord and receive his mercy. Well, how do we receive his mercy? When we hear that this gift has been offered, what God calls his people to do is to believe. To believe that they need him because of sin, that they could never clean themselves up enough, that they could never be good enough, that they could never say, next year I'll be good, just wait, and actually believe it. But they say, I could never be good enough, no matter how long it would take. And because of that, I need a savior. And there's only one, and his name is Jesus. And so you receive that mercy by asking Christ to come and rescue you. By simply praying what we call the sinner's prayer. I need you, Jesus. I am a sinner. I need to know that I've been saved by grace. And for all who pray that prayer, who all believe in Jesus alone for salvation, for all who say, even in a moment like this, I believe they are saved for all eternity. That endless gift, that gift grabs hold of you. It's God himself. Paul said it in Ephesians, in Christ and you will never be let go. That endless gift, that immeasurable gift, that gift of his mercy for you. Many in here today have prayed that prayer. I'm confident some have not. For those who haven't, I want to simply say this to you. Look back under the Christmas tree, now and tomorrow and the next day. And if you have yet to ask Christ to save you, Remember that there is a gift. This gift has been given. Open the gift. Ask God to save you. Ask him to overwhelm you with his presence where you would say, I would be crazy not to open this gift. Now, between that moment and where you are today, you may have many questions. Ask your questions. Talk to our pastors. Talk to someone you came with. 
If you didn't come with anybody, ask someone around you, do you believe what he just said? If they say no, don't keep talking to them. Move on to somebody who says, I believe. And they're going to tell you about the greatest gift. This gift that knows no end. This mercy given to us by God. I'm going to close this in prayer. And as I do, I'm going to pray that prayer. You could pray with me. I would ask you this. If today is the day in which you pray for salvation, I would beg that you would come and tell me or tell someone who will be standing in the corners who would love to pray with you and hear that news. If today there's something that separates you from that and you feel a need to have questions answered, come and see me or one of our other pastors or those in the corner. If today you know you know Christ, but the song that you feel is endless now in your own heart is the sorrow and sadness, avail yourselves of the means of grace in prayer and come and let us pray for you. If you know Jesus, then after my prayer and after we leave, my friends, go and tell someone of this immeasurable gift. Describe it in detail the best you can. Father in heaven, I'm going to pray the prayer much like the one I prayed in June 23rd, 1982. And if there are any, Father, here who want to ask you for salvation, that you would hear their prayers that come into their heart, offer this prayer. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner. I need you to save me. I pray that you would rescue me from my sins, that you would enter into my life as Lord of my life, that I would know that this is the moment in which I have been saved for all eternity. Simply pray that prayer. Ask Jesus to rescue you. Lord Christ, if any have made that prayer today, I pray that you will overwhelm them even in this moment with a great sense of your power and presence. For those, Lord, struggling even with doubt and questions, have mercy on them too. Let them know that it's normal to ask. For some, it takes a while to really understand. Lord, bring them to a place of honest discussion that they may understand what you are offering them in your holy word. And Lord, for this church, we pray that you would send this message of the gospel so deep into our hearts, so deep that it must find a place of exit and it would come out of our mouths and our hands and our feet. And that which goes deepest to the heart would go widest to the world even this day. And we would make known the wonder of what it means that Christ came that his mercies may be known. Your mercies. We pray this in his name. Amen.